either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Well, Oscar and award season is really heating up now. We've got one of the best of the year to talk about this week, and uh, and some others, of course, in theaters and in streaming. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we'll start with a film taking us back to the 1920s, when members of the Osage tribe in the United States were murdered under mysterious circumstances, sparking a major FBI investigation. This is Killers of the Flower Moon. The Osage, their time is over. We got to take back control of our home. I was sent down from Washington, D.C. to see about these murders. We have so many deaths, we've lost count. It's just bad luck. Seems more like an epidemic than bad luck to me. You gotta pick a side. I don't even know if you love me anymore. Of course I love you. And kill these men who killed my family. Don't do something you're gonna regret for the rest of your life. I ain't got nothing but regret. Been hearing about this one for a while. Martin Scorsese's latest, uh, now 80 years old. And of course, the star studded cast, it arrived. With great fanfare, and boy, it, it earns all of it. This is instantly one of the best of the year. Yeah, I think it's our first five-star film of the year. Yeah, it's just astounding. It's just a fantastic experience. And uh, yes, it is three hours and 26 minutes. I don't think any any of that felt like filler no, at all. No, I mean, you got to be ready. I mean, you had to take a bathroom break. I mean, you know, <laughs> you know take it quickly and get back. But it's just such a rich rich experience of storytelling based in in fact yep uh this is scorsese not only directs but he co-writes with eric roth and they adapt the nonfiction book by david gran about these murders back in the 1920s of the osage tribe and this is set in oklahoma right after world war one and leonardo dicaprio's character ernest he comes home after the war and he's taking a job with his uncle uh, who goes by the name of goes by the nickname of king king hale uh, played by De Niro, on his uncle's cattle ranch. And his uncle is a is a rich, you know, a power broker in the town of Fairfax, Oklahoma. But still, he laments that his cattle money is nothing next to the oil money of the Osage people because the the movie lets us know that back then, in this area, the, the Osage were the richest people per capita in the world mm-hmm. because of the oil that was found on their land. And but uh, King is not the only one lamenting. The the elders, especially the elders in the Osage tribe, they're lamenting the, the, the loss of some of their traditions to assimilation. They're lamenting the dangers that come with all their wealth. And they're lamenting the white men that are only too eager to marry into their money. And one of those, of course, is Ernest. Uh, he ends up marrying into the family of, of Molly, played by Lily Gladstone. And then, once their union is legal, Uncle calmly explains how now they are that much closer to the oil shares in Molly's family. And then when these unsolved murders of the Osage people keep racking up, eventually uh, the feds come to town, led by uh, Jesse Plemons, and they start investigating. And it's just all inside. Everybody's caught. Everybody there in, uh, in Oklahoma 
is caught inside this just quagmire of lies and killings and betrayal. The way that it is told, I mean, Scorsese tells it in such a, yes, it's based in, in true crime, but it's it's thrilling, it's heartbreaking, it's it's gorgeous to look at. The, every, every technical aspect about this film is first rate. Oh, yeah. And the cast is stupendous. Yes. So, I mean, I think we've all come to expect performances of this caliber from from certainly De Niro and and DiCaprio, both of whom are at the very top of their game. Yes. But if you know, a lot, most people don't know Lily Gladstone. She's she was in First Cow a couple years ago. She was in Certain, certain Women, mm-hmm. both Kelly Riker films. Uh, but I think this is going to be the introduction for most people to Lily Gladstone. And she owns this movie. Owns it. And in the most subtle Sort of unshowy way, yes. as you said in your written review, it's it's just in her eyes. Yeah. You know, you just see, and then every once in a while, uh, her character has a voiceover, and it's in every single time. Often, I don't like a voiceover; I find them very leading. And every single time that it happens, it's just perfect. It's it's what's going on in her mind, and and you just feel the anger and oppression mm-hmm. and just you know humiliation that that she and her family face every single day and there's so much subtlety to that aspect of this you know one of the things that caught me off guard right away they're all uh, there's a whole bunch of people in in the downtown area and and uh, and somebody is selling photos they're willing to take your photo yeah. they'll take your photo for $40 in 1921 and it's just there are a number of different times where you you hear the price of something and you think that's what it would cost today. And you realize, I mean, without sort of being beaten about the neck with it, how the white people were gouging the Osage people for their cash. Yeah. And that's one of the ways that's one of the small ways that the bridge is made between then and now. And so much of these attitudes are still here today. And you you hear that tired argument that we're still hearing today from all these white people that because these Osage people are rich, richer than them, right. and, and of course, and these so many of these white people look down on the Osage people as lesser, then they didn't work for it. Right, And exactly. you don't deserve it. All right. And anyway, although, although nobody is saying that about the Robert De Niro character. Exactly. Why would you? Because then you're just denigrating success. Oh, yeah. He's rich. Right. No, and, and any way that they can take that money from them is justified. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, so you see all of that, and you see it play out, again, in, in historical manner. And I'm glad you brought up the snapshots, because that continues throughout the film. Not just that scene, mm-hmm. but there are moments when... Scorsese will hold a moment like a snapshot, yeah. just re, just reinforcing the historical nature of this. Take a look at this, mm-hmm. just just for one extra beat, yeah. just enough. And uh, but again, nothing in the film feels like filler. It'd be hard. Oh, you'd no. be hard pressed to say what can we take out yeah. because the characters are so rich in in culture and in in shades of of humanity. And you know, even DiCaprio's arc. I mean, his his character is such a stooge. Yeah. And he's just he's a pawn, but he's he's wrapped in this this confident ignorance yeah. where he thinks he's smart yeah. and he thinks everybody else is is dumb. And he's just being used and and De Niro is just a sociopath hiding in plain sight. Just, just such a master oh, manipulator. Mana- and he's got the biggest smiles and backslaps for the people that he's most gaslighting. Oh, yeah. And and the way it plays out, too, well, really, in all that we talked about, uh, Lily Gladstone, she's she's tremendous. And, of course, I would say she was a lock for uh, for an Oscar nomination, but I thought that about Den- Danielle Deadweiler last year. So, 
But I would yeah. be, again, I'd be shocked. She's so good. She's you so you good. said she's she's the soul of this movie, often just with her eyes and her character. You know, she's well aware of the daggers that are out for her people. She's well aware, but she wants so badly to trust in her husband and their future together. And just the members of her family just keep dying. And her it's just so heartbreaking um, yeah. through her character. And then as it goes along, the feds come to town and uh, things start getting getting unraveled. It leads to an to an ending, a finale that really, really impressed me, sort of surprised me. And it let me know that Scorsese for all the and, you know, you've probably seen the headlines about Martin Scorsese says Marvel films are not cinema or whatever it might be. You can tell from this movie that there's plenty of today's films that do inspire him uh, because it's you can see it. He's already come out and said that the pace of this movie, which is great. He really took front, took inspiration from, from Ari Aster's films. Mm-hmm. And then I think the way he ties up this movie and connects past to present reminded me a lot of some of the recent uh, Spike Lee films. Yeah, Black Klansman in particular. And yeah. uh, Defy Bloods. Yeah, uh, the, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, we don't want to give it away, but the way he does it, the way, you know, so many movies that are historically based, in the end, they'll give you a montage of pictures yeah. and they'll say, what happened to this character? What happened to this character? Well, he finds a different way to do he that, does. and I loved it. I did too. I just loved it, and too. it's stirring, and you 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 see even more uh, familiar faces pop up in the cast because as much as these big names that we've talked about, you also see uh, John Lithgow mm-hmm. and um, Brendan Fraser. Brendan Fraser pop up in small roles, Jack and then White. Ja- Jack White, <laughs> and also yeah, and some other musicians, um, Sturgill Simpson and Jason Isbell, they pop up in some, and they're pretty good. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody, everybody in the cast, and you'll notice other a bunch of familiar faces, character actors. The other thing that the ending does, it does remind you that it is true crime. You know, with all this, uh, there's so much fandom right now, and has been for years about true crime. But you understand why in a few films here recently, the subject of burying the past keeps coming up yes. because we see it people over and over. Don't talk about that. It makes us uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. Well, it should. Yes. You have to. We cannot move forward until we confront the the past. And and you got to confront these things and remember that they happen and just, oh, no, it makes us feel bad about ourselves. Well, hey. Well, as they say, people who want to forget the past intend to repeat it. Yeah, exactly. And this is a, a he finds a really great way to remind you of that still be entertained oh, and then yeah. at the same time do something at the very do something i don't think he's ever done in one of his films that will really makes you stop and go whoa <laughs> and drive the point home just one more time and we can't forget to mention the score the late robbie robertson of course from the band mm-hmm. a legendary musician he did the score and i totally forgot that yeah and i'd already written down in my notebook score and then i saw it at the end oh my god robbie robertson yeah. did this He's going to get a posthumous uh, nomination for sure. It's 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 fantastic. Uh, Scorsese's longtime uh, editor, Thelma Schoonmaker, I think mm-hmm, is her name, yeah. three-time Oscar. We were talking uh, about she's that. She's great. We were talking about that because because The Departed is on, I don't know what it was on the other day, and we were watching it, and, you know, the way that she cuts that together in the tense moments, you know, is so opposite of the the pace yes. and patience just with in this the film, length there, yeah. of the scenes oh yeah yeah because there's an intimacy in yeah. this movie yeah and and you just want to let the images linger a bit yeah it's her 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 editing uh prowess is quite stunning yeah and she's already won i think three oscars yeah. already uh, just everything about it every little aspect about it is fantastic cannot recommend this enough it is right up there like you said this early 
are only five uh, star reviews so far this year, but it, it's right up there with Oppenheimer and oh, yeah. Barbie oh, as yeah. the best movies oh, of the year. Do not miss it. I certainly hope everybody goes to see it yes, on the big screen. It deserves I. to be seen on the big screen. I mean, keep this going. We're on such a roll with getting people back to the theaters. Right. This so so it's just a cinematic experience. Cannot recommend it enough. In theaters now, one of the best of the year called Killers of the Flower Moon. Well, let's go from the big screen to Netflix. Comedy. Three best friends become fathers later in life and find themselves battling preschool principals, millennial CEOs, and anything created after 1987. It's old dads. You need to talk to someone about your anger. You were late. Couldn't find a spot. We don't accept excuses. Is there like a problem here, miss? Well, if you'd actually read the school guidebook, I wouldn't have to tell you anything. I read the guidebook. All right, you stumpy little... Wow. You feel your generation is more evolved. Yeah, absolutely. It's not going. Hit the thing. Come on, let's go. You know I got a flip phone. Kidding me? Oh, I got it. I got it. I got it. Maybe I'm not cut out for this. <laughs> but I'd do anything for my kid. You have no idea how awesome I was at your age. Julio Iglesias came up to me in an airport, dead certain I was his son Enrique. The kind of vibe I was putting out, bro. <laughs> That's ridiculous. I was ridiculous. This is the debut as a director and co-writer for comedian Bill Burr. Mm-hmm. And if you may not know his name, I'm sure you know his face. Yeah. You see him in a lot of uh, a lot of films and a lot of roles. I'm not really that familiar with his stand-up. I've seen him on some talk shows, right. so you kind of get an idea. Yeah. And this film really feels like an extension of his stand-up. So probably if you like his stand-up, you'll appreciate this movie more. And to me, I think to both of us, it felt like most of the time we've seen in the last several years or decades even, we've seen these stand-up comedies, uh, comedians take their act to TV sitcoms. And then they break it up into little things that they riff on. I mean, hell, you can go all the way back to Welcome Back, Cotter. That was yeah. part of his. But this is seems like that, except he wants to stay R-rated, so he moves it to the big screen, or or in this case, you know, Netflix, moves it to a feature, and uh, we found it uh, totally unfunny. You know, and it's not as if that never works. Trainwreck, Amy Schumer's Trainwreck, right, yeah. that, that essentially is what it was. It was yes. a stand-up point. Uh-huh. turned into, you know, a feature, you know, uh, a fictional account. And it was a great movie and one of the funniest movies so of that funny. year. Um, and this is this feels superficial in the way that too often when somebody takes their, their stand-up to the screen does. The thing is, and I do, uh, you know, again, I'm not super familiar with his full stand-up, but when he's on shows, when he's on talk shows, I find him funny. I find Bill Burr funny in that sort of cantankerous old man sort of a way. <laughs> you know, um, the problem, there are a handful of problems with this with this film, and I think it's at its best when what it's doing is sort of um, emphasizing that moment in time that everyone either has faced or will face where you realize the next generation is taking over. Your voice is not as loud as it used to be. Somebody else is, like a whole other generation, is making all the big decisions for the Mm -hmm. way the culture is moving. And then you realize you've become the cranky old man in the, you know, in the black socks mowing your lawn and shaking your fist at the, at the clouds. Yep. And at its best, this movie pokes fun, insightful fun at that moment that we will all face. The problem, I think, the way that his character carries on, the, the film doesn't seem to see the irony in the fact that, and, and it is a pretty common problem, uh, uh, and it's almost always a man, but not always, is angry 
and being angry at somebody else for the way they're behaving and for the fact that they want everybody to just be nice now and everybody's offended and everybody and what they're not recognizing is you're angry because these people are angry at you but they're not allowed to be and you are you're angry because you're offended by what they're asking you to do and you're allowed to be offended but they're not There's a lot of rich irony available to comedy there, but this movie misses it completely and just sides with the old guys who are like, let's all just be dicks. Come on. That's why I think it's he's really speaking to his audience. I mean, this has worked for him. But yes, and there's a there's a a point in the movie where his character says, I'm just saying what everybody's thinking. No, you're not. No, you think you are. Yeah. And you you think you're a self-righteous hero for that. But you're not. No. Uh, And and I think maybe he's gotten that idea through his his crowd. Yeah. That Uh, he is speaking for everybody. And the truth is, no, we're not all dicks. Yeah. Some of us aren't thinking ugly things about everyone in the room. And of course, all three of these guys, uh, these middle-aged well, the, his friends are played by Bokeem Woodbine and Bobby Carnival, both really very talented. Love very to see talented. those guys. Yes, and of course, talented. they all have younger, hot wives and/or girlfriends because that's what the casting in these movies has to. Well, of ha- course, ha- the the premise is that 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 this is why they're thrown into this world is because all three of them are men in their fifties who have preschool age or right. about to about have to children. Have, yeah. So, but at the same time, you're right. It's so often the problem with comics when they make themselves movies is that they're all married to women who could be their daughters and especially (laughs) Woodbines that I mean it was creepy to me when they first introduced her and he referred to her as a girlfriend he just introduces to her his sons I assumed she was the son of one of his the the girlfriend (laughs) of one of his teenage sons and like several scenes later when I realized she was his girlfriend I was a little sickened (laughs) yeah um, and now there is, we learned something today moment as yeah. you know, Bruce Dern shows up well, as an even crankier old man where you get the idea that, okay, does he realize what he, look, that's you in, you know, yeah. a, few, a few decades. So there is a, we're, we're learning something today message, but in the end, I'm really not sure how much he learned. It's, it's more about just, he, st- he still feels this way. He's just not going to say it anymore. Yeah. So all three, of course, all three of these middle-aged men have to learn something today. And uh, the the Bobby Carnival character in particular, what he learns today is to just shout at his wife and complain loudly that she doesn't perform oral sex. <laughs> and that's the big triumph. And I thought, oh, this, you know what? Yeah. And, and really, in the end, it, it's a comedy. So am I laughing? No. Movies like this always remind me of Disney. It was Cars 2. Cars 2. The one that was pretty much taken over by the cable guy. Yeah. And I was, this is very easy. If you like Larry the Cable Guy, you'll think this movie is funny. I didn't, so I was bored out of my head. Uh, So here you go. It's pretty much based on the stand-up of Bill Burr. You like that, you'll probably like it. We didn't laugh maybe a couple times. Yeah. And that's about it. Uh, And that is on Netflix, Old Dads. Let's go to Shudder. When an unsuspecting woman stops at a remote gas station in the dead of night, she's made the plaything of a sociopath sniper with a secret vendetta. To survive, she must not only dodge his bullets and fight for her life, but also figure out who wants her dead and why. It's Night of the Hunted. You have to call the police, please. My friend just got shot. I'm sorry. Because I blew his head off. Who are you? More importantly, who the fuck do you think you are? No! The way we've lived. 
repercussions of our actions. There's someone shooting at the store! Go get your phone. Are you in shape? I'm being shot at all night, and the moment that you get here, it all stops. We seem to be stuck, you and me. Why are you doing this? Do you think I should feel guilt? We share that gene. We're nothing alike! A couple of misleading things about that, what you just said. Number one, it's really more night of the penned in. You know, the hunted, you expect there to be a hunt, but there's really not. She shows up someplace. Yeah. Yeah. So that doesn't work so well. And then, um, you know, that she's got to figure out uh, that's not really accurate either. So she um, she goes into this. Uh, gas station. I always actually like horror films that are that are based. There is something creepy about being inside a very well lit building that is all windows, especially in the middle of nowhere in the middle of the night. Like that's that is a creepy mm-hmm. spot to be in. There's a great movie called Splinter that uh, that takes advantage <laughs> oh, of that. Yeah. This movie reminded me of that one. Stay a lot. out of the parking lot. That's right. Um, and in this case, uh, you know, behind a big billboard that said God is nowhere. So I so clearly this is, doesn't take place in Ohio because, in fact, I don't know where on earth there are any billboards that say God <laughs> is nowhere. Anyway, so the sniper is behind that. And uh, and so there's a walkie. And eventually, you know, I'd say 85 percent of this movie is is her inside the store talking to him behind the, the billboard via this walkie talkie. And um. It gets trying after a while uh, because he's it's it's sort of interesting. He's spewing a lot of uh, sort of a mishmash of very, very sort of right wing leaning talk show sort of buzz kind of stuff. At the same time, he's undermining all of her assumptions. And it's interesting for a while because he's clearly misleading her. He's not telling her anything honest. Then you're not sure when he does. So that's interesting, except for uh, eventually it feels too much like. A justification. It's it's not clear exactly what this dynamic is. Camille Rowe does a very solid job. Um, you know, almost all on her own inside the store, trying to stay alive, thinking things through. They don't all work. Some of them do. I mean, she does a really good job. It's a very physical role. Um, she's quite solid. The biggest problem for me in the end is that it falls back on the way too often used horror trope of this woman will find her resolve the moment she realizes that she does have a maternal instinct. Mm. I I hate that cliche in horror movies. And 99% of the time, it's a man who wrote and directed the movie, as it is today. Yeah, the writer-director is Frank Calfoon. Calfoon. Uh, Calfoon, so I hope I pronounced that right. But yeah, that's that's a good point. We see it a lot. Too much. Too much. So, you know, on the in the end... I was pretty disappointed in this movie. There are there are some things to to recommend, but on the whole, I found it pretty disappointing. And that is on Shudder, called Night of the Hunted. And this next one is in some theaters and on VOD. Maddie and her friends go on a weekend trip to the woods to plan Maddie's wedding. Settled near the camp of Mr. Rogers, and with no phone signal, their trip starts to turn into a bad idea where they start dying and a secret is revealed. This is called Kill Her. <laughs> Gunshot, are you okay? Where are Jess and Ray? Would it really be that hard for a homicidal maniac to just kill them? (laughs) If this is one of your 
stupid jokes. You think I'm lying? We have to stick together. There was an incident up here yesterday involving Ed Rogers. They said somebody shot him in the back. And the title is all one word, K-I-L-L-H-E-R, if you're looking it up. But that synopsis, if that sounds pretty generic and pretty familiar, uh, Daniel Baldwin, the schlocketeer who wrote a review, says, yes, that's that's exactly right. They're checking off some boxes here. But they're doing it on purpose. You know, they're really trying to mi- to mash together some some common horror tropes to create expectations that that they can later subvert. They don't, I don't think, really are very successful with most of that. And there are moments where it's clearly intended to be a horror comedy, although that that tone doesn't work either, I don't think. But Daniel says the movie rises and falls on one performance. M.C. Huff as Eddie. Yeah, uh, you want to read Daniel's review at MadWolf.com? Yeah, he really... Thinks it all falls on her, that without her, everything would just collapse, but she's able to. And, you know, that that can certainly happen. You can have one good performance elevate the material. Oh, for sure. Uh, and I think, according to Daniel, that's what happens here. Uh, director is Robin August. The writer is Tom Kishi. And check out uh, Daniel's review, madwolf.com. And that is streaming and also in theaters now called Kill Her. A comedy next on VOD. A female-driven comedy about a woman who feels that she and her friends have grown apart this is a be careful what you wish for film where a simple little lie begins to tear a whole community apart. It is Sick Girl. What's wrong with me? If you're looking for sympathy, you're not going to find it here. This is what it feels like to have cancer. Bottoms up. Swallow. My pool is reckless. What? Why are you giving us the stank eye? We got cancer. I don't have cancer. You don't have to lie to mask your fear. I'm not lying. Fit bang, you know, this is textbook behavior. Let's go, you bunch of hot messes. You still got a tap to pay. What's going on in there? I'm coming in. No, don't. If you are bald, we are bald. Is she okay? I don't really know if you can call it a simple little lie. This is a pretty big, big lie. Yeah, it really is. (laughs) And that's one of the things pointed out by uh, Christy Robb, who reviews this at MadWolf.com. The lie, and we're not spoiling anything because it's in the trailer, she lies about having cancer. Yes. It's, It's sort of an interesting, for a long time, an interesting movie because she's... You know, she's all of her friends now. She's about 30. All of her friends now, they're married. She's the only, she's the last one single. She's the last one that still wants to go out to the bars and get drunk. She's the last one. And she's also, as that I think often is the case with that one friend, a bit of a narcissist. And she just wants them all back. She doesn't want that to end. It's like a Peter Pan kind of mm-hmm. a situation. Um, and so she makes up this lie. And one, and it's a fascinating idea for a movie. It really is a fascinating premise. As Christy points out, they don't wrap it up properly because yeah. it the how the, do you come back from she's that she's much too easily forgiven by the film right. for having done this awful thing of convincing the people who love her that she's dying and also taking advantage of all of that yeah it gets away from her in ways that are maybe comedic but the the film doesn't know how to resolve itself uh, the writer director is jennifer cram and the lead role is nina dobrev 
Uh, but also Wendy McClendon Covey. Yep. Uh, always fun. Plays her mom. And then Sherry Cola, who's yeah. having a good year. She's, she's in there too. So, you know, there's some talent there. But yeah, it's when you have such a concept there, man, how do you. Like, how do you get out of it, and how do you properly have have the the person who did this have consequences? Yeah. I mean, think about that. If that would happen, and that's we've seen it happen for people who do it for like fundraising purposes, mm-hmm. and of course they get charged with crimes. Right. Uh, here you're doing it just for narcissistic purposes. Yeah. How how do you have that character still come out of it? Facing the consequences that are due. That's yeah. tough. Sort of reminded me a little bit of that one from uh, a few months ago with uh, Juliette Binoche, Between Two Worlds, right. where she was deceiving these people while getting research to, to write a book. And in the end, it just didn't hold her accountable right. enough. Right. Now, that wasn't a comedy. This is. But still, it holds true. Man, This that's a big thing to try to get yeah. your character out of. <laughs> the I've learned something today is not enough. Whew, no. no. That's, that, that's big. Uh, but check out Christy's full review of Sick Girl at MadWolf.com. And one more, a drama on VOD. Over the course of a week-long beachside getaway, Amy, having recently undergone dramatic weight loss, finds herself wrestling between loyalty to her best friend Kim and her attraction to Kim's new boyfriend. It's called Waiting for the Light to Change. I don't know how I feel about me and Jay anymore. Like, I love him, but I don't know. Before, I used to think that love was supposed to be chaotic and like a hurricane. But then I realized that's just how my parents are. And that's not what love really is. You never asked me how I was doing. Don't you ever wonder what I'm up to? My job. I'm happy. Rachel Willis reviewed this one for us at MadWolf.com and was particularly impressed with the way the film really sort of hung on that moment, that last moment before you have to just commit to being an adult, right? They're all (laughs) recent college graduates. Some of them have already sort of figured out what they're doing. The lead really hasn't. And it it, it just, they got a week. They got this week together on the beach and it's, it's a really good encapsulation of that moment. It's a great title, too, just waiting for the life to change. You're just waiting for something to explain to you how to go and be an adult. <laughs> and and the performances are great. There are times where and it's, it's at its best when it's kind of a minimalistic sort of approach. There are times where it pushes that and uh, and tries to do something maybe a little more artistic, maybe a little more unusual, and those don't always pan out. But on the whole, it's a very solid film. Uh, the co-writer and director is Lynn Tron, Tran, and, uh, yeah, this is reviewed for us by Rachel Willis. You can check out her full review at MadWolf.com. It's available now on VOD, Waiting for the Light to Change. Okay, well, we already mentioned the Schlocketeer. Let's check in. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Okay, he was off last week, but he's back. Ready to share the knowledge. We're in the lobby checking in with Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. the Schlocketeer. What you got this week? Well, The Exorcist Believer is hitting premium VOD on October 24th, just in time for Halloween. Just in time. Just in time. And also in time for Halloween is uh, The Nun 2 is hitting HBO Max on October 27th. So if you haven't caught it on VOD yet, it'll be hitting your home soon in another way. 
And Spider-Man Across the Universe is also streaming on Netflix beginning October 31st. Cool. Moving on to some newer stuff. Um, Peacock has set a December 8th premiere for Mr. Monk's Last Case, which is a follow-up TV movie to the popular initially miniseries, or not miniseries, regular series, Monk. Yeah. That's been um, off. Has it? That's been off for a while, hasn't oh, it? Oh, years, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, Peacock's quietly been doing um, TV movie follow-ups to a couple of their shows. I know there was the popular um, comedy series Psych has oh, yeah. had like three or four TV movie expansions huh, okay. on Peacock over the past two years. Huh. And then Lord of Misrule, which is a new folk horror film from The Boy and Orphan Kill director William Brent Bell, um, that will be hitting VOD on December 8th. And Sony will open their drama Freud's Last Session in theaters in New York and L.A. on December 22nd, followed by a wider release in January. That one stars Anthony Hopkins as Sigmund Freud and Matthew Good as C.S. Lewis. So that might oh, be something to look out for. Interesting, okay. And on January 4th, Netflix is premiering a Spanish-language disaster movie called Society of the Snow. That's about the Uruguayan Andes flight disaster of 1972, and it's the latest from J.A. Bayona, who previously did um, The Impossible, which was also a disaster movie. Oh, but yeah. more for us, A Monster, monster Calls and, and The Orphanage. Yeah. So. Yeah. All good stuff. And he also did universe. one really terrible Jurassic Park movie. I forget which one. Fallen Kingdom. Yep. Yeah. Fallen <laughs> Kingdom. Yeah. That's the one. It was bad. They can't all be winners. <laughs> uh, Universal has said a February 9th theatrical release for their horror comedy, Lisa Frankenstein, which was written by Diablo Cody and is the directorial debut of Robin Williams' daughter, Zelda Williams. Fun! Oh! Boy, Diablo Cody hasn't written a movie in a minute. Yeah. I'm excited for that. Not since Tully. Yeah. Wow. And then we have some release date shifts. The small one is that Paramount has postponed the release of their biopic, um, Bob Marley, One Love, by a month. That'll now arrive in theaters on February 14th, mm. I guess for Valentine's mm-hmm. Day. And then because the SAG strike has kind of stagnated, the studios and the Screen Actors Guild are at a standstill now. We've got two bigger postponements. The first of which is that uh, Disney and Fox have pulled Jeff Nichols, the bike riders, from its December 1st release. Uh, and uh, it will not get a new date until the SAG strike ends. Wow. Yeah. Well, it could miss it could miss Oscar contention entirely. Yeah, then. for sure. They uh, have implied that if that's the case, it might be held until next fall. Wow. Oh, yeah. no. No. And then, well, yeah. It, it, is this is this only because they no one would be allowed to promote it? Is yeah, that, it's got to be yeah. done. Oh, yeah, it's way way it. done. It's been showing in in uh, oh. in festivals. It's oh, way oh, way okay. done. Well, then, it's it's surely it's because it's got this massive cast for this yeah. tiny little movie, and that's they what they were banking on. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And then on the bigger front, uh, they've uh, Disney's also pulled uh, Deadpool three from its May release. Um, and that film remains undated as well because only half of it has been shot. There's yeah. no way it's making okay. that. Yeah. And uh, they did move Captain America 4 up to that May slot because that one did finish production and probably only has like ADR and some additional yeah. photography left to do. Yeah. But right now, Captain America 4 is the only MCU movie coming out next year. Wow. So we're going from three year back down to one. <laughs> it's... it's <laughs> Obviously, for different reasons than COVID times, uh, in a big way, but oh, yeah. um, similar similar thing happening there now. And I wouldn't be too surprised 
you know, if the strike doesn't manage to end in the next couple of weeks, if we see a lot uh, more of those bigger movies that haven't fully shot yet moving out of next year. Sure. And well, that's all I've got for you. All right. Well, as always, you can check in and get the latest news and notes with Daniel. Follow him on the socials at the Schlocketeer. Thanks much. Thanks for having me. Looking ahead to next week, the return of David Fincher and Michael Fassbender in a movie called The Killer. Also, I don't know. I'm I'm cautiously optimistic about Five Nights at Freddy's. Yeah, same. We'll see about that next week. Also, Freelance. Pain Hustlers. Fingernails. Suitable Flesh. The Hive. And Deep Rising. Okay, that's all next week. But boy, a lot of good stuff to talk about this week. Love to have you chime in. Your thoughts on Killers of the Flower Moon, or maybe you loved Old Dads. You love the Bill Burr stuff. That's fine, too. Uh, keep the conversation going. Easy to do. You can find us on Twitter. We're at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also on Facebook and Instagram and threads. It's Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website with all of our written reviews uh, from not only the two of us, but also the other members of the Mad Wolf Pack, uh, you can find that all at madwolf.com, and as well as our other podcast, our horror movie-only podcast called Fright Club. You can check all that out at madwolf.com, and we hope you will enjoy the movies. Heads up, we are taking next week off because we're heavily involved in Nightmares Film Festival here in Columbus, Ohio. That is next week, and we're pretty much going to be sleeping at the movie theater. <laughs> and by all means, if you're anywhere in our area of Columbus, Ohio, this is one of, if not the, leading genre film festival in the country. Yes, absolutely. So come out if you can. Nightmaresfest.com for all the info. So we're taking that week off, next week off. See you after that. Enjoy the movie. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but... I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs>